Because last week, if this is your first time with us in a while, or first time with us ever, especially anybody that's online with us, we just started this series, Faith on Fire, last Sunday. Pastor Walter gave a great message to kick off this series for us. This idea of being transformed for the mission. For anyone who is in Christ Jesus, we have been transformed because the Holy Spirit indwells us. We have been moved from death to life eternally. And there is a major, major blessing that we get. And that is eternal life. That is eternal life with Christ Jesus our Lord. It is the promise of what is to come. But until that day comes, we have been called by God for a mission. The church has been called on a mission to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel every day of our lives, every waking moment. And I pray, I pray that your heart's desire is that you will follow Him. That you will not just follow Him and rejoice because you have been saved. Praise God, we've been saved. But that you will live out your commission. Every single day. I've entitled the message for today, Devotion for the Mission. Devotion for the Mission. And I I think you'll see very quickly where we go with this for why I chose that for today. But we're looking in this series and we're seeing just after we followed up from last Sunday, the ascension has happened. Jesus has ascended into heaven. And as Pastor Walter pointed out, I love how he said it last week, this this nice little rebuke from the angels. Hey, why are you guys still standing around? Jesus has told you to go and do this. So go. And so we pick up today in this passage, we're in verses 12 through 26, we're seeing how Matthias is chosen to replace Judas. And we're going to stand together now, reading the Word of God. I'll pray and we'll dive in. So if you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they entered, they went to the upper room where they had been staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood among the brothers. The company of persons was in about 120 and said, Brothers, the Scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field, and with the reward of the wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akadama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all this time, 
that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you who knows the hearts of all, show which one of those two you have chosen to take the place of the ministry, the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you now. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified during the proclamation of your word. We pray, Lord, that you would have your way in these next few moments. Lord, that every distraction would fade away. And Lord, that we would hear from you. Lord, that we would not be thinking about other things that we need to do or or anything of that sort. Lord, let us look at the beauty that we get to sit under the teaching of your word now. Teach us, Lord. Have your way in us, Lord. Draw us to repentance, Lord. Call us to step out in faith, Lord. May we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. For today's passage, we're going to see that devoted followers seek after the Lord to understand His redemptive plan and walk in obedience to God because of what He has done. If you're taking notes, I hope that you are. You can put for the first one, devoted followers seek after the Lord. Devoted followers seek after the Lord. Verse 12 again. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. We see that the followers have returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. And we have to remember that this is the place of which Jesus ascended. This is a place where many things happen. We know we have the Olivet Discourse that happens in the Gospels, where Jesus is specifically describing the destruction of the temple and the second coming. We know that at the Mount of Olives, that's where they go from the place where they have the Lord's Supper. This is an important place that Jesus would go with his disciples. Luke points out that it's a Sabbath day journey away, which means it was a little more than a half a mile or so, roughly. And so there was some walking to do. There was some distance that would take place for them to get to this place. And so they head back to Jerusalem. Jesus has ascended. It's time to get this party started. Let's follow. Let's do what the Lord has called us to do. But we must go and wait until that helper comes. We also know that the Mount of Olives, this is an important place when it comes to prophecy in Scripture. Prophet Zechariah, excuse me, when he is writing in 14.4 of his book, it says, On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and on the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by the very wide valley. So that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other southward. This is a prophecy of what is going to happen when the Lord returns. Mount of Olives is a very important place. Very important place. Brian Vickers in his commentary, his ESV commentary, he says this. And I just thought it was so beautiful how he wrote it. The place of Zechariah's apocalyptic vision of judgment against the nations is now the sending point 
for bringing blessing to the nations through the gospel. Think about that. So beautiful to see. Yes, it's a place where the prophecy is saying this apocalyptic vision of judgment that is going to come, but it's also the place where Jesus has ascended and it's been made clear, I'm coming back. Now take the message of what you have encountered, what you have seen in the risen Lord, and proclaim it. Make it known. Follow this commissioning that I'm giving you. Jesus is ascended at the exact place where he's going to return to bring judgment. But he's also providing grace and mercy to any who would repent and believe. That's the beauty of the gospel. The apostles, they would leave from there. They would return to this upper room. They would return to this place where they would wait. There's a specific purpose for their going back. That specific purpose was, was referenced last week, Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They went back to wait. They went back to wait on what it was that God would be sending to them. Look at verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Luke is writing and he tells us who all is there in that moment with them. He's listing these 12. 11 at the moment because Judas obviously is not there. He's describing who is there in their midst. And what's very interesting to note, it's just something to think about, is how important Peter, James, and John are as close they were to Jesus, but also in how they play out through the book of Acts. But these men are listed here, and the only thing that Luke really does differently from Luke 6 is he lists James, excuse me, John in a different place than Andrew. Peter, John, James, and then he lists Andrew. In the Luke account, he obviously lists Judas, who's no longer there, and he's got them switched in a different place. Look at 14, very, very important verse. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. We see here this picture, besides those that are mentioned by name, we also see those that are listed there too. We see that the women are there. We see Jesus' mother, Mary, is there, and his brothers. The church is gathered. The church has gathered. They have come together for the purpose of waiting. They have come together for the purpose of seeking God's face. They have gathered in this moment to wait on the Holy Spirit. So what do they do while they wait? Do they write down their grocery list? Do they think about what they need to do for the week? Do they think about what's going to happen three months from now? No, they gather in that moment and all they do is seek the face of God. They were devoted to prayer. Scripture says that they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer. 
in one accord. One accord. They didn't have many agendas. They only came into that place to seek God's face and wait on the Holy Spirit. With one accord, they were devoting themselves to prayer. They knew that Jesus wanted them to go and to wait. And so they waited. And they sought the face of God. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to sit and wait and listen for God to speak. They saw how desperately they needed Him. Think about that for a minute, church. Here in this moment, as we see in just a couple of verses, there's 120 of them gathered. They have just witnessed their Messiah, their Master, resurrect from the grave, appear to them, spend some time with them, and then ascend to heaven. The one that they followed is no longer there. He's ascended into heaven and he's waiting until the right time to come back. And he has promised them that there is a helper coming for them. Now, I don't know about y'all, but if the one that I was following died and I've seen him resurrect and he's standing before me and I literally see him ascend to heaven... If he tells me to go and wait, and he's sending a helper, I'm going to go wait. But they go, they sit, they wait, and they devote themselves to prayer. I wonder, is that our position? This is not a judgment call or anything. This is me asking us honestly. Are we in that same position today, church? Are we, the saints at Holmes Avenue Baptist Church, are we in one accord devoted to prayer? When you see an email or a reminder or a phone buzz at 10.02 in the morning. Are you seriously saying, I don't want anything in my way. I want to pray and beg God to build up labors for the harvest. Are you saying daily, God, I love you so much and I'm so grateful for the grace and the mercy that you've shown to me that I will be devoted to crying out to you in prayer for my lost family, for my lost neighbors, my lost co-workers. I will beg you, Lord, to move and work in me and through me so that people that are lost and separated from you will be known by you. Is that our heart's desire? Are we praying and asking God, to move in the life of this church? Are we begging God 
to move in ways that blow our minds. Because Scripture tells us that He is able to do far more than we could ever ask or think. It makes me ask the question, have we taken God and just put Him in a box? And said, this is yours. You play here. And we'll come back and play with you again on Sunday. Brian, get off your soapbox. (laughs) These are just things that I've been wrestling with the last several weeks. I am praying and asking God that our church would be devoted to prayer. That we would be devoted to this book. That we would be devoted to it to say, this isn't just something that I'm just going to pick up on the shelf, take off to the shelf and, and bring with me on Sunday. This isn't something I'm just going to look at really quickly on my app just so I can meet my reading plan. I am praying and begging God that each and every one of us is so in awe of Him that we can't stand having this out of our hands. Because if we are truly going to impact the harvest, we have got to be devoted to the Scriptures. We have got to be devoted to prayer. And that's from the leadership down. Praying and asking God that He would move in us in such an incredible way that it would leave us in awe. Are you devoted to prayer? Are you devoted to seeking God's face and asking Him to move in ways that will leave us in awe? Shook. Because it's 2021, but God's still on the throne. It's 2021, and things are crazy. Our world is embedded in sin. But we have the hope of the gospel that has transformed us. So who are we telling? Who are we discipling? Who are we coming alongside and saying, brother, sister, I'm devoted to this. And I want to be in one accord with you. And I want to impact this neighborhood and this community and this city with the gospel. God, please move in us. Secondly, devoted followers seek to understand God's redemptive plan. Devoted followers seek to understand God's redemptive plan. Look at verse 15. In those days, Peter stood among the brothers. The company of the persons is about 120 and said, let's stop there for a second. He acknowledges them as the brothers. Granted, there are, there are ladies there too, but it says there's about 120. Let's just think about that for a moment. You can go back into the gospel accounts and you just look at the feeding of the 5,000. You have to remember as well, the feeding of the 5,000, that's just counting men at that point. And so there were obviously probably more than 5,000 people. At that point of Jesus' ministry, there's all these people that want to see what's going on. They all want to see the show. 
But at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, He's defeated sin and death, He's resurrected, and there's only 120 left. There's only 120. Think about that in the context of Acts 1.8. When the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and we're going to see that next week, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, what happens? 120 followers flip the place upside down. God moves and works in an incredible way through 120 people. Right? That seems like a lot of people. In the grand scheme of things, that's not many people at all. Which is an amazing encouragement to us, church. Because sometimes you may look around and say, well, there's only a few of us. Man, God can change the entire world with 120 people. He can change it with the people that are inside of this building. He can do it in the people in this church. He can do it at Friendship. He can do it at Centerpoint. He can do it at St. Andrews. He can do it at Cooper River. He can do it at Portside. He can do it at Restoration. He can do it at other churches too. God is still in the business of saving souls. And he will do it through his church when his church is devoted. consistently seeking to understand his redemptive plan. Verse 16 says, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Peter gives that designation of brothers, and he says there, he's like, listen guys, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. God's redemptive plan had to come to pass. What God orchestrated all the way at the beginning in the garden when he told Satan that there's going to be enmity put between you and the woman, your offspring and her offspring, guess what, Satan? You're going to lose. God's redemptive plan all the way back in the garden would come to pass. And as we see in this example here today, we have this example of the Psalms as David writes, pointing to the fact that Judas would be the one to portray Jesus, that Judas would be replaced. The beauty of the gospel is that it doesn't surprise God that Jesus is betrayed. Because it was all part of God's redemptive plan from the start. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God moves and works through His plan. And the Scriptures point to it all the way through the Bible. 17 says, For He was numbered among us and was allotted His share in this ministry. Judas was given a role to play in the ministry. And as part of God's plan, Judas would, yes, be the one to betray Jesus, that perfect, spotless Lamb of God that would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver to die for the sins of all mankind. That number 12 there is crucial because it represents the 12 tribes of Israel. Judas is one of those 12. Hence the reason that he is going to need to be replaced. Now, Luke takes a brief aside here in 18 and 19 and describes what happens to Judas. 18, 
Now this man acquired a field with a reward of the wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and his bowels gushed out. It's saying there that Judas has acquired this field from the money that he was given, the blood money for betraying Jesus. Luke says there that he falls headlong and he bursts open. Now, Matthew's account does reference the fact that Judas hangs himself, so put two and two together. He could very well have hung himself and then the rope would have snapped. Regardless, Judas dies. Verse 19 says, And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akadama, that is field of blood. Luke mentions this common name for this field. Now look at 20. Here we see an example of Scripture quoted within Scripture. It is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. Let's stop there for a minute. This is referencing, if you want to jot it in your notes, Psalm 69.25 where David is writing Psalm 69:25 and it's this prophecy of Judas's land never being inhabited. Now we can see a reference to this and I want you to listen Matthew 27 6 through 10. Judas has come back on the scene and and he's he's trying to return the money for what he's been given. But the chief priest taking pieces of silver said, "It is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money." So they took counsel and bought with them a potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called Field of Blood to this day. This was fulfilled. What, excuse me, this was fulfilled, what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the 30 pieces of silver, and the, the, pri- the price of him on, on him, excuse me, uh, the piece that had been set by some of the sons of Israel. And they gave them to the potter's field as the Lord directed me. So here we see they've taken this and they've bought this field. And this is the same place where Judas would kill himself. But secondly, we also see here in 20, it says, let another take his office. And this is referencing Psalms 109 verse 8. Psalm 109 verse 8. So we see here that the Scriptures pointed to the fact that this would take place. What am I trying to get you to see here? It wasn't a surprise to God. It's all a part of God's redemptive plan. If we are going to be devoted followers, seeking after God daily, coming before Him in prayer, devoting ourselves, truly devoting ourselves in prayer, we must also devote ourselves to the Scriptures. We must also devote ourselves to understanding God's Word. Therefore, we grow in our sanctification. We continually grow to be more and more like Christ. We continually understand His plan. We continually understand why the mission is so critical. Because it's the beauty of the gospel. Lastly, devoted followers seek to follow in obedience. Devoted followers seek to follow in obedience. For those of us that have been camping out for the last six months through Leviticus, uh uh-oh, we're talking about obedience again. But look and see how they are obedient to the Lord's leading here. 21 and 22. 
So one of the men who have accompanied us during all this time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Luke continues here with the explanation of what is necessary as far as a qualification to replace Judas. What were those qualifications? They had to accompany the Lord during the time when Jesus was in and out among them. This had to be from the baptism of John, from that point moving forward until the day Jesus ascended, and the person had to be a witness to the resurrection. So of that group of people that were doing this, that have met those qualifications, there are two. There are two. 23 says... They put forward two, Joseph called Barsabas, and, uh, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. Look at 24. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place of the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside and to go to his own place. We see here something very profound happen, very important happen in verse 24 and 25. The believers come and they pray to God. They ask the Lord to help them as they cast lots. They ask them, Lord, please make it clear to us which one it is to be. They do the same thing that we just covered just a few minutes prior. They are devoting themselves to what God would have. So here in this moment, they come and they ask God. They ask Him, Lord, You know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two You have chosen. You see, the decision wasn't up to them. The decision wasn't up to them. They knew that only God would make clear who would take Judas's place because it was God's decision. They specifically say, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show those that you have chosen. In other words, God, we can't do this on our own. God, you have to be the one to make it clear what we are to do. Have your way, O Lord. Make it abundantly clear to your followers. Make it abundantly clear to us that this is what you would want. And then 26 says, They cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Lord, we're going to cast these lots. And we are going to trust because you know the hearts of all. You know exactly what is to be done here. So we are believing you. We are trusting God that you are going to make it abundantly clear what you want for us to do. So we ask you to make it clear. Is that our heart's cry? Lord, as we want to consistently see this community changed, as we pray for 21 and we pray that people would come to faith in Jesus and people would be baptized and move from death into life, 
Lord, we pray and we ask God that you would make the way for that to happen. Lord, we ask God that you would make the way for opportunities to open up so that the gospel can be proclaimed. Lord, we pray and we ask God that we would be so devoted that we would be running out of people to disciple in this place. My heart's cry right now is that we would be so devoted, longing for time with the Lord, longing to disciple one another, that more and more people are being engaged with the Gospel. They're being transformed by the power of the Gospel because they're moving from death into life. They're being discipled and the church is growing. Not so that we can say numerically that we got a butt ton of people in the place. But so that we can say that the kingdom of God has grown. Because the church won't stay quiet. That truly our faith would be ignited like a flame that would burn so bright. That this city, that this city would say, them people over at Holmes Avenue are nuts. They are able and willing to do any and everything that this city needs. I mean, I pray that that's the, the, the opinion of the city as we consistently grow and see God move and work in our midst as the Holy Spirit does incredible things in the hearts of our people. But in order to get to that place, church, We've got to be devoted. We've got to be devoted. I still believe that God is very much at work in this place. Very much believe that. I still believe that there are many, many souls that are going to be saved through the ministry of this church. I just pray and ask that if your heart's desire is not to see that, that you would get on your face and repent before God and ask Him to move in ways in your own life that just leaves you breathless. He's already redeemed your soul. That ought to leave you breathless enough. But beg God to put this burden in you to be so devoted to Him, so devoted to His Word, so devoted to praying to Him so that people around us can come to faith in Jesus. Are we desperate for Him? Do we see just how badly we need Him? Do we see how badly our community needs Him? And do we long for Him to leave us breathless? My prayer for you today is that is your desire. My prayer for you is that if you just feel like the pulse is just very faint. Pray that God truly does revive you. 
Pray that you that you're just so just in awe of what God has done in you that you want more of him. Pray and ask him, Lord, put this devotion in me. Put the desire in me, Father. And may I walk in obedience to you in a way like I've never done before. I don't know what you have going on right now. I have an idea of some of you. But whatever God is doing right now in you, I pray that you won't ignore it. Because I believe that God is still moving and working in His church in incredible ways. And I believe that He's going to continue to do it, especially as we continue in this series. Because we're literally seeing how the church began. How the Holy Spirit moved and worked through the church. And it's not a past tense thing because he's still moving and working through it today. My prayer is that you would seek the face of God and ask him to do something in you, to stir in you, to revive you. Whatever you need to pray and ask, whatever you need to repent of, whatever it is, give it to the Father. And then let's go to work. So I'm just going to pray quietly, let you reflect, pray to God, and then I'll lead us in prayer before we sing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we Lord, we come before you right now, Lord, just humbled and thankful that we can call upon you as Abba Father because of what you have done through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I come before you right now, Lord, and I pray for our church family. And I ask, Father God, that you would revive in us a longing and a desire to be devoted to you. To be devoted to your word. To be devoted to prayer. To be devoted to growing in discipleship with one another. Lord, so that this community, this city, our family, our neighbors, our co-workers, every person that you have placed around us, Lord, so that they would have opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel because your church is devoted to your mission. 
We have been transformed by You. You have revived our hearts, Lord. You have moved us from death to life, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would be so in awe, so thankful, so devoted to You, Lord, that You would use Your church in ways that leave us speechless. Your Word tells us, Lord, that You will do far more than we can ask or think. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that You would do that in us. Do it in our hearts. Do it in this church. Do it in this community. Do it in our sister congregations. Move and work in incredible ways. Oh, Lord, we love You. We honor You. We praise You. In Jesus' name. Amen.